Open your Bibles to the Gospel according to the good Dr. Luke. We are moving along in this passage. The title is really catchy, but it's true. You ready for this? Life's most important question. And this is not the only place it's asked. So if you go back into the archives of the cross preaching, you'll probably see that title. So you'll probably see it again a number of times. Why? That question is, is, is throughout the Bible. And it is life's most important question. So we're going to look at it. Only each time we look at it in a different passage, we see it from a different perspective. Right? Same answer. Different context. Different perspective. Okay? 10, 25 to 28. Very brief. 25, 26, 27, 28. I told you last week in error that, 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 that we, we were probably going to get to the Good Samaritan. We, we, we didn't, we're not getting there yet. This is the, the little bit in between before the religious leader says, and who is my neighbor? So we'll get there next week, and then we'll talk about how to frame that, okay? Let's take a look. Life's most important question. The 70 were sent out. The 70 came back with joy. Jesus is filled with joy. Why? Why? Because he's seeing Satan fall. Every time that you speak Jesus into somebody's life and God raises them from death to life, Satan falls. He sees Satan fall like lightning and Jesus is filled with joy. Get involved in Jesus' joy program. Share him with others so that he can continue to see Satan falling like lightning over. And that's not just a frame of reference of Satan coming out of heaven and getting the boot by Jesus in the beginning. This is a, a reference to every time that you speak truth and God uses that to raise them from death to life. It's another blow. Another blow to Satan. And Jesus said, I saw Satan fall. Every time you opened your mouth and we raised him from death to life, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. That's, this is a rescue mission. This is a rescue mission. And that's what we're called to do. Okay? Three, three let's take a look at the passage. On, on, here now the word of God. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. May God add his rich blessing to his inspired and errant and fallible word. Pray with me. Father, it's no accident we're here this morning, everyone, by divine appointment, which means you have something to speak into each heart. Speak now through this broken vessel and speak only your words from this pulpit. Oh, Lord, give us ears to hear and minds to understand and hearts that beat for nothing smaller than the Lord Jesus Christ. We are so thankful to be part of your mission in this world. The church is the mission. We thank you for that. What a privilege it is to go out and share you with all those we come in contact with, to give them the truth, give them a storyline that is coherent. We thank you for that. So be with us now and clutter our minds and unburden our hearts that we might see Jesus in him only. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said. Three things, real simple. Short passage, three things. Number one, what is the reason for the question? doesn't always have to be a righteous reason, but the question is righteous. The question is most important. What was the reason this was asked? Number two, the reality in the question. Oh, that's powerful. This is, this, this is going to help you with your evangelism right here. What's the reality in the question? And then finally, number three, what's the right response to the question? Got to have that. Ready? Let us head out into deep water, shall we? Let our nets down for a catch. Number one, the reason for the question. Real simple reason. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. 
This was not a sincere quest. It wasn't so much to test, to, to, to trick him. It wasn't so much to, 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 to bring him to a place of, of, of scorn, if you will. It was, it was a legitimate test. This guy is an expert. So when you read an expert in the law, you, you're talking really about the group of the scribes. But within the group of the scribes, there are groups. This guy primarily focuses on how many books of the Bible? Five, the first five, right? The law. The first five books in the Bible are the law, the Mosaic. So he's an expert there. Now, he knows the writings and the prophets, all the scribes do, but he settles in here, right at the law. So he says, you know the law, I know the law. Let's, let's see how well we know the law. So I think it's just a legitimate challenge. Nothing wrong with that. But, but there's something else behind it. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That's, we'll talk more about that in a moment. But let's deal with this, this, this test. Exodus 17, 2. Because you want to be careful. You want to be careful with this test. He's an expert in interpreting Jewish law, but here we go. Moses said, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the... Be careful. A test is really this. Here's the deal with the test. It's to challenge God in doubt and unbelief. That's really what a test is. You've got to be careful with that. Be careful. There's nothing wrong with asking questions. Nothing wrong with crying out to Jesus. But you want to be careful in, in, in testing the Lord. And, and there's a fine line there that, that, that you walk with that. So we want to see it in this passage so that we can have a better understanding. Hebrews 3, 8, 9. Do not burden your, harden your hearts as you did in rebellion. So looking back at the Exodus redemption, don't harden your hearts like you did in rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness where your ancestors tested and tried me. God said, don't, don't do that again. Well, for 40 years they saw what I did. Here's the reason why we ought not to test the Lord. Can't you think about what he's done in your life? Of course you can. No need to test him because of all that he has done for us. Okay? Moving through that still, just let me give you another one so that we can be clear. Remember Jesus says this. Remember he's quoting the scriptures. When you read these words, look at Luke Luke 4.12. We'll go back into the earlier portion. Where he says, it says, so if Jesus says it says, or have you not read, or did you not hear, or thus saith the Lord, he's speaking about Old Testament. That's all there is. The Hebrew Bible is all he has in his hands. Jesus does not have the New Testament, never quoted from it. It did not exist. So he says, it says, what says? The Old Testament, he actually goes to Deuteronomy. And he defeats Satan by quoting scripture. But not the quoting of it, it's the capturing of it in his heart. That's the power of the word of God. Right, that word, you can't just be in the word of God. The word of God has to be inside of you. So Jesus says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. I'm not going to do that. You ought not to do that. Okay, so it's insincere at some level, challenging, but that's the scribe, the lawyer. Now back to the passage, watch the response. What, Luke 10, 26, what is written in the law? 
Jesus replied, how, how do you read it? We could talk about the Socratic method of, of engaging and his methodology of engaging individuals in conversation on how to get to the truth, how to find out what somebody really believes. But Jesus, when you look in the scriptures and you see how many questions the Lord Jesus was asked, how does he most often respond to a question? With a question. Note this, religion, when religion presents God to the world, it does so by putting an exclamation point at the end of the sentence. When Jesus presents God to the world, he bends it at the end with a question mark. Why? He wants to get to the heart. Because when somebody, if you're talking about Jesus in, in the community and you're dealing with an unbelief, the question is never the, the issue. There's something beneath the question. And generally there's something beneath that and beneath that. And then you finally get to this and, oh, oh, you are terribly wounded. Okay. I, I, now, now you, you have a different entry point into the conversation. It changes where you enter into the... He changes the entry point, which means he puts himself in a godly way in control of the conversation. I can tell you that I've studied this for a lot of years, and that's almost always all I do. In a very loving, kind, compassion, often through a veil of tears. And I respond with a, with a question. Why? We want to get to the heart. And I can promise you every heart is wounded. So, so, so Jesus says, he, what must I do? Believe on the Lord Jesus and thou shalt be saved. No. What is written in the law? You're a lawyer. What is written in the law? How do you, I, I want to know how, because Jesus knows how he reads it. How do you read it? Okay. Well, because the man asked, what must I do? Where does Jesus send him? To the law. The law says what? Do. The law says don't. The gospel says what? Done. So this man says, listen, I need to know what I need to do. So Jesus says, okay. Excellent. Let's go to the law. Let's go to Sinai. How do you read it? Powerful what he does. And listen, he never does this ever with the prostitute, with the sinners and the tax collectors, never. He doesn't say, what does the law say? He meets him, he says to the woman at the well, Jacob's well in Samaria, oh, if you only knew who was sitting here and the water that I have for you that's living, that you would never thirst again. Oh, give me a drink and I won't have to come back to this miserable well. No, not that kind of water. So he, he puts it, and, and it's, and it's a, an evangelical message. We have to put it in the context of our audience. How do we meet them where they are? So he sends them to the law. Why? Ready? And then we go to point two. Galatians 3, 23 to 24. Don't miss this. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law. Locked up. We were in captivity. Sinai put us in captivity. Locked up until this faith that was to come would be revealed. It's now revealed in Jesus. Jesus has come. He's come as the answer to the law at Sinai that says, do. Jesus says, done. Come to me because it's done. So the law was what? 
our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. There it is. What is the law designed to do? Is, is, is the law bad? Oh, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. It's the most beautiful. Oh, I love the law of God, but will it save you? No. The law drives you where? To the Savior. Because you look at the law, Calvin says it's a mirror, and you see the dirt, and you go, I can't do this. That's the whole point. And when you finally get to that place, you cry out to Jesus, I can't do this. And he says, I know. Child, I know. That's why I came to do it. And I've done it. And it's finished. Come. Got it? So the reason, test, Jesus responds with a question. Ready? What's the reality? Here's the key. Watch this. This is so important for your evangelism today. Watch. An expert in the law stood up. And he said, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Okay, just one note first before we get into that part. What's the first thing that kind of stands out when you read that? Uh, What do I do to inherit? That doesn't make sense. What doesn't make sense? What do you do to inherit something? Nothing. You don't inherit something because of what you do. You inherit something because of who you are. It's not based on your practice. It's, It's rooted in your position. You're in a family, and the family, and the family, the, the matriarch and the patriarch, they, 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 they make a plan to, to, to leave something for you in inheritance. Why? Because of what you've done your whole life? No, because of who you are. So the question is, is messed up from the beginning. Because all he's thinking about is what? Do, 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 do. All he knows is the law. And he thinks he's doing it. That's the problem. He's blinded. By his own self-righteousness. So what, 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 I, what do I need to do? But now, watch this. Second. Oh, don't miss this, please. I, I, I speak to so many broken hearts. Watch. Number two. Annihilationism is something that's believed. It's a big word, but it's real simple. You know what they believe? They, they believe that when you die, it's like going to sleep and it's over. Here's what they believe. Here's, here, when you get to the, listen, you get to the end of life. It's not eternal, it's extinguished. And you sleep, and it's over. That's not true. Even if, even if we didn't believe what we believe about Jesus, it's not true. And your heart tells you it's not true. You know there's something after this. Your heart, you know that. You can't get away from that. Neither can the unbelieving skeptic who hates Christianity who thinks you're a joke, likes Jesus. He says, oh, you know what? I love your Jesus. I just can't stand you guys. Christian, I, I, love, I love Jesus. I just can't stand Christians. Self-righteous, legalistic, narrow-minded, hateful. I just can't stand them. The Bible makes something clear. It is appointed unto man what? Once to die, and then what? I didn't say it. The book says it. And your heart says, what did, the, what did the Jew know? He knew there was something. He had a religious frame of work. He understood there was a creator God and what God creates doesn't go away. He knows that. He was made for eternity. So he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He knew that it existed. The people you're speaking to today, they won't acknowledge it, but they know it's true. And their heart beats for it. Christopher Hitchens, before he died, with, after his bout of cancer, and he withered away to nothing, I watched an interview, and they said, would you mind if we prayed for you? 
He didn't change his view before he died. He said, no, I wouldn't mind. I guess everything helps. Don't you, don't you wish, don't you wish there were something? And yeah, I really do. I really do wish there was something after. But I know there's not. But if you want to pray for me, you can. They want to know that it's there and it is there because God put it there. How do we know it? Take the, take the scripture. Let's go to 1 Corinthians first. See this. This is the prevailing view in the community. This is the prevailing view in what we call cultural context. If the dead are not raised, so you're dead in your faith. If we're not raised, then let us eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. If you, if you don't believe Jesus is raised from the dead and you're sitting here right now, or you believe a multiplicity of worldviews, your conduct is incoherent. You shouldn't be here. You should be eating, drinking, and what? Preparing to die. And getting the best out of the little bit of time you have right now because that's all you have. It's incoherent to live the way we live if there isn't something after this. So they would be incoherent in their worldview if they cared about things like this because they don't believe there's anything. That's our entry point in. Ecclesiastes 3.11 tells us what? Oh, don't miss this. Listen to me. You, you, you can't miss connecting with an unbeliever. Why? They're made just like we are. We're all the same. There's no difference between us and them. We are, we are created in the image of God. We're, no, we're all broken. By natural birth to Adam, we are broken and we are sinful. The only difference is Jesus showed up. But what has God placed in the heart of every single person? What? Eternity. They know it. They know it's true. Fyodor Dostoevsky, 1800s, Russian Orthodox Christian novelist. I won't give you his works. You probably know many. Listen to these words. Listen to these words. If you were to destroy the belief in immortality in mankind, not only love, but every living force on which the continuation of all life in this world depended would dry up at once. And that's what's happened to millions. They live utterly hopeless and desperate lives. And they have no answers to life's big questions. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? And it's a mess. We have to get to them. But we have to be invited in. And we can't be invited in when we go banging them over the head with the Bible. we got to be invited into the conversation. And then begin to share the love. The only one that will meet them in their deepest place of need is who? Jesus. We've got to get the opportunity to get in with Christ. Finally, last point. What's the right response? Watch this. Real simple. He answered... He goes to, he, first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Goes right to Deuteronomy. He's an expert. He goes to the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, your strength. But it doesn't stop there. And love what? Your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, you've answered correctly. You, if, if it was one of them booths at the carnival, he'd have given him one of them little stuffed animals. No, take this one. 
Actually, he played the big one. That was awesome. You got it. You, 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 you realize what you said? Now, now, stay with me. Agapeo, you got to see it. You got to see it. Agapeo, that's not, I love you, you love me, I love you. This is love that comes from the Holy Spirit. This comes from, a, from above. It only comes down from above. And three things you see in it, and you know it in your own heart. Sacrificial, supernatural, and it's selfless. That's the love that comes from God. And that's the love we're supposed to share with the world. Now, we're going to finish on this. this, this we got to get to this point. Now he comes back. I, I, I stopped the verse. You've answered correctly. Now what does he say? Do this. And you will live. Jesus, why did you say that? Is Jesus preaching now to be saved by your works? He says it. Love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Excellent. You're correct. Do this. And you will live. Oh, that makes me uncomfortable. Why? I can't do it. I can't do that. That's his point. You know the law? You're, you're a lawyer? Do it. To drive him to the place. And we'll find out next week why he then asked, who's my neighbor? Because he's driven to the point of what? The base of Sinai. I can't do it. Never in a day in my life have I loved the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Not for a single moment. Never. Much as I've tried, I can't do it. And I certainly can't love my neighbor. Some of my neighbors I actually don't like. Anybody with me? Oh, you think it's just me. Shame on you. Oh, I got Bill there nodding his head. Good, Bill. Thank you. Thank him not alone. All right, Sam, covering his eyes, covering his eyes. Thank you. Thank you. I can't be alone. We're supposed to evangelize our neighbors, we're supposed to love them. I don't like some of them. I don't like them. I said to Kim, why don't we move? No, you'll like them less. Just deal with it. He can't do it. That's the point. Do it. I can't. That's it. Now you're getting it. That's the gospel. Law says do. I say done. Romans 3.20. You know it by heart, most of you. No one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law we become what? He made the lawyer conscious of his sin. He changed the reference point of the argument. He brought him into the deepest heart level. You know the law. How do you read it? Love the Lord your God. Do it. By the way, who's my neighbor? That we'll get to next week. Why? He's paralyzed. I can't do it. Gosh, I hate my neighbors. I hate those Gentiles. Matter of fact, I hate most of the Jews. I love this small group of people that I belong to. And that's the problem in the church today. We put up these walls and we, we, and we, 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 we pull up the drawbridge and we say, okay, whoa, God ain't safe. Oof. I'm going to have to go out there for a while. No! That's where we belong. We are in the world, not of the world. We are in the world to share with the world the love of Christ. All right, closing. 
Here it is. Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? All right, just a very simple point. Don't miss this. i got to give you the quote from C.S. Lewis to close and the last song. But, but what must I do to inherit eternal life? It's, it's, a, it's a frame of reference from the temporal that will take us to the spiritual. What do you do to get an inheritance here? What, in general, in general, what has to happen in order for you to get an inheritance here? Someone has to... If you didn't, someone must die for you to get your... Now, the, the prodigal son wanted his father dead, and he said, let me have my stuff now. So if, to, as far as the son was concerned, father was dead, but he's still alive. But in general, someone must die in order for you to get your inheritance, and yet that inheritance dies with you. Why? You can't take it with you. However, this inheritance, eternal life, comes from what? One who died... And rose again. And he says, the inheritance that I give to you, you're taking with you. You can't leave it behind. Why? Watch. 1 Peter 1, 3 to 4. In his great mercy, not your merit. We're almost done. I'm, I'm, in his great mercy, not your merit. He has given us new birth into what? A living hope. When, when, when God, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Three dead patriarchs? No. Three live patriarchs. I'm the God of the living. It's a living hope. When you take your last breath, what happens? You change your address. That's all you do. This is through what? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you don't have that, you have nothing. And into an inheritance. Now listen, don't miss this. I want you to know something. That you can, that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. You want to know what that means? You can't mess it up. You might be aligned to get an inheritance here on this side of the grave from family members. And you do something you ought not to do and they write you out of the will. Right, right, right. You get written out. And you go, oh, man. Or they tell you, they put a restriction on you. Don't go do this. Don't marry that person. Don't go do that. Don't go get that job. Don't go this. I'm going to write you out of the will. It can happen. can't happen here. Why? Where is it kept for you? In heaven. It is supernaturally secured by the Savior. Nothing can touch it. We're getting, final point, we're getting ready to come to Thanksgiving. Listen to me carefully. There are many things in your life that take you back to a time and a place. Yes, nod your heads. For some, it's a holiday experience, and you think about the past. For some, it's a song. It's a smell. It's something that you see, something that you come in contact with, Bill, you know, most recently. And our hearts long. Our hearts are broken. Our hearts are, are heavy. And yet, we go past this point, and we realize that there has to be something on the other side of it. I think back to Thanksgivings, and I long for that moment, and yet that's gone. And it never comes back. Why? It was only a shadow that was pointing us to the substance that is to come. What's the substance? C.S. Lewis puts it best. Ready? Watch. If I find my in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. You weren't made for this world. Your heart breaks because... It's broken. And everything you love is going away. 
If you live long enough, everything you love will be gone. The only thing you'll have is Christ. And every love relationship that you have that breaks your heart. And these are the times of the year where ministry really gears up for me. Where hearts are truly broken. It's hard. I, I, I remember those days with my mom and my dad and, and my children and my brothers. And, 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 they, and they pour their hearts out to me. And we have to get to a place of the other side of that. And the other side is that was only a shadow of the substance that was to come that will never be taken away from you. You're going to a place where you will never lose anything or anyone ever again. Nothing will be able to steal your heart and your love. That's the promise of the inheritance. If you don't know that truth, that's the gospel today. You know your heart is broken. You know it beats for something that you don't have and can't get to. It's that other side. Come to Christ. By grace through faith. And salvation is yours today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth of the gospel. We thank you for the power that is contained within it. We thank you for the promise in this word. Word, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love our neighbor. And the only way we can do that is when you pour your love, agape, love into us. Then we can begin to live it out. Father, we lift anyone in this sanctuary, anyone by way of the internet, who right now, heart is broken, longing for that time they cannot get back to. Tell them, the way back is forward into the loving arms and nail-scarred hands of a Savior. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen.